0: Horror Story is a podcast about strange and mysterious true horrors. My name is Edwin Covarrubias, host and producer of Horror Story. In the show, I have an episode called There's a Stranger in Your Walls, and it's about a woman that moved out of her home because she thought it was being haunted. But the truth happened to be even scarier than the ghosts. Other stories dive deep into the supernatural, like the one of the most infamous cases of real ghosts, called The Haunting in San Pedro. But if you're into mysteries, learn about the pilot who disappeared in the sky. All of these and more are available on Horror Story right now, with more episodes coming out every single week. You can search for the podcast by typing in Horror Story on your podcast app right now. The show is the one with the yellow letters. I'll see you over there on Horror Story. True Scary Story is a podcast about personal, terrifying stories dealing with the paranormal. True accounts from people who live through strange and supernatural experiences, told directly by them. My name is Edwin Covarrubias, and for years I have been listening to stories from people who have shared their most frightening true experiences with me. There was one story recently called, There's Something in the Closet where Juanita tells us about her experiences growing up in a house where she would see objects physically move on their own, but the rest of her family would act as if nothing was happening. It wasn't until years later that she found out what the source of it all was. Which makes me wonder, if you were to witness a haunting, who would believe you? Come find True Scary Story by typing it into your app right now. I'll see you over there on True Scary Story. The following program is a production
1: of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today of madness, and partake in this theatre of the mind. Welcome to the Simply Scary Podcast, Season 1, Episode 9. I'm your Master of Ceremonies, G.M. Danielson. Thank you for joining us for this episode. We will take you along with us as we venture into the darkest reaches of our concrete and steel society. Many people have found interesting surprises hidden for generations in old buildings. In 2008, for example, a contractor in Cleveland found $183,000 that dated back to the 1930s hidden clandestinely within a client's wall. How lucky was he? In 2013, a California homeowner named Nines Newell removed floorboards in one of his rooms and found the previous owner had made the floor into a large Monopoly board. How disturbingly charming! Who gets to be the thimble? Now, of course, it is time to turn down the inevitable dark path. In 2007, Bob Kinghorn of Toronto, Canada, made a terrifying household discovery. A small, mummified infant, wrapped in newspapers. This heartbreaking secret had been hidden since 1925. This should force us to realize that monstrous acts and horrible nightmares are often hidden just out of sight. So when you do a major renovation to your home, or explore an abandoned building for a thrill as an urbexer, it is best to be prepared to reveal secrets beneath the floorboards. So the time has come to whisper in your ear. I hope you are ready for the revelation. A very wealthy young woman has been bequeathed a very special, very generous asset in her grandmother's will. For her, it is something with many childhood memories connected to it. But that doesn't always mean it has sentimental value. And Courtney will learn that her inheritance comes with a grave price. Jordan Lester performs Lauren
2: Munera's Saints beneath the floorboards.
3: I've recently acquired my late grandmother's home. She had always promised she'd give it to me, but no one in my family had ever taken it seriously. So they were baffled when, upon the reading of her will, I was bequeathed, among other things, her three-story Victorian. A few of my relatives were quite jealous of this. At 23, I was a woman with not only a high-paying, steady job, but now I also had a splendid home, one that my grandmother had paid off not five years before her death. I was living the dream of everyone at the wake. Yet it was all I could do not to chew my nails off when I first got the news. It may have come as a surprise to the rest of the family, but... My grandmother and I knew the reason why she'd left the house to me. I was the only one she had told. I'm the only one who knows about the... saints beneath the floorboards. My first and only interaction with saints had been over a decade ago, when I was ten. My mother had driven me down to spend the weekend with Grandma, and I'd brought the family dog Sherbert along. Grandma's house was an hour from ours, and somewhat isolated. Her nearest neighbors were about half a mile away. Close enough that I could see a house in the distance when I stood next to the mailbox, but far enough away that there wasn't much chance of a noise reaching them. Grandma's house was bordered by a small sea of trees on either side, creating a natural fence. The driveway was dirt, and I remember feeling excited as my mother drove closer and closer to what I had dubbed the Castle Though most children find the Victorian-style creepy, Grandma's house was a wonderland to me. It was so big that every visit was an adventure, searching to find new rooms and corners. That particular trip, I had been eager to find an entrance to the attic that wasn't crisscrossed with boards and nailed shut. Barely waiting for the car to stop, I threw open the door of the van and ran across the front yard. I jumped up the blue-painted wooden steps, racing around the wraparound porch. I opened the back door, knowing it would be unlocked, and let the screen slam behind me. My grandmother, faithfully working in the kitchen, turned and smiled at me. ''You always know just where I am,'' she chuckled, kneeling down. ''Grandma!'' I shrieked joyously, running into her arms. ''Cookies, right? Cookies?'' ''Of course,'' Grandma said, leaning back and patting my shoulders. ''Lemon sugar cookies. Your favorite?'' and a nice way to welcome Summer. Courtney, my mother sighed from the back door, entering the kitchen. Sherbert followed behind her, trotting over to my side. You shouldn't run ahead. It's dangerous. This house is very old. Ridiculous, my grandmother scoffed. I've kept it in good repair. It'll be standing another hundred years at this rate. Regardless, my mother insisted. She should be more careful. She's been getting into trouble lately. Mom, I protested, sidling up next to Grandma. What, you thought you could escape it here? My mother asked, smiling a little. It isn't ladylike to be breaking into abandoned houses with your friends. We're exploring, I said. You make it sound so bad. I'd say that a bit of trouble is good for a young one, my grandmother said, pulling me into a one-armed hug. "'You worry too much, Clarissa,' my mother rolled her eyes. "'I should have expected as much. "'Well, I'll go get her sleeping things. "'Try not to lose sight of her, Mom. "'Don't worry,' Grandma assured her. "'We'll be as close as peas in a pod.' I grinned up at my grandmother, already tasting the warm sugar cookies she prepared. "'My usual trips consisted of us playing games "'and Grandma telling stories, as well as gardening and baking.' We would go on walks through the fields of flowers that made up her backyard, with Grandma dressed in the clothes of other cultures. Having traveled the world for over a decade, there were still some knick-knacks, paintings, and souvenirs that Grandma hadn't gotten around to telling me about. Each visit was brimming with a taste of the world I hadn't yet seen. But, like I said, it was on this particular trip that I didn't go anywhere foreign or tropical. I went into the dark and listened to my grandmother tell a very different kind of story. You know how in horror movies, the dog knows what's happening long before any of the main characters do? My dog wasn't like that. The next afternoon, I discovered an old dumbwaiter, made before Grandma's husband bought the place. The Victorian used to belong to a couple of rich sisters, who had people wait on them. Grandma had explained the history of the place to me on my last visit, saying that the dumbwaiters hidden behind fake panels of walling, went either up or down. She'd encouraged me to find them, and tell her which way they went. I was delighted to discover my first dumbwaiter in the parlor. It was on the second floor, relatively near the attic. After ten minutes of slapping wood, I had exhaled in relief at the sound of hollow tapping. I'd been grateful that the panel hadn't been stuck behind wallpaper. With the careful placement of a flathead screwdriver and some muscle, the panel popped open. I coughed the musty smell, waving away the dust as I judged the hole. It wasn't big enough for much more than a dinner platter and a glass of wine. There wasn't a chance of me fitting in there. But one border collie puppy? That was certainly doable. I had been hopeful that Sherbert, despite his size, would be able to knock the panel out from wherever he ended up and give me an idea of the space. I hoped he would end up in the attic and I'd figure out a way to follow him up there he'd be my adventuring dog, and I'd play Nancy Drew. He let me lay him down on the rickety dolly, patient and trusting. I gave him half a biscuit for his obedience, and began pulling on the rope of the dumbwaiter. I was disappointed when Sherbert began going down, but kept at it, determined to see the mystery through. He never made a single noise. It took a while for the dumbwaiter to stop, from a kid's perspective. When it finally did, I called out Sherbert's name excitedly, expecting him to bark back. At the silence that followed, I jostled the line of the dumbwaiter, feeling the cable wobble all the way down. This time, I was rewarded with a noise. Hissing. And a skittering sound, like claws. Thinking that Sherbert was dealing with squirrels, I began pulling the dumbwaiter up as fast as I could, assuring him that he was being a good boy. When the dumbwaiter finally reached the top, my heart sank as Sherbert wasn't wagging his tail at me. He wasn't jumping out of the dumbwaiter, running to get outside into the fresh air. He was perfectly still. I grabbed Sherbert's limp body and pulled him onto the floor, patting him down for injuries and waiting for him to move. Maybe he was just dazed... Maybe the sudden darkness had made it hard for his brain to react and adjust to the reintroduction of light. I started screaming when I realized that my hands were coming away red. Footsteps slammed against the floorboards, overpowering my screams. My grandmother was suddenly kneeling beside me, demanding what was wrong, what had hurt me, whose blood that was. Sherbert! I sobbed, turning numb. I pressed my hands against his coat. Sherbert! A little sigh left Grandma's lips. Later, I would realize it was a sigh of relief. <sighs> that dumb waiter goes down, then. She turned her attention to the dog, a mess of bitten into flesh, fur, and blood. I watched as she pulled the corpse toward her. Grandma? I squeaked. Oh, no, this won't do, Grandma murmured. She dug her fingers into the large holes in Sherbert's body, pulling out chips of black and yellow. She tossed them on the floor with contempt, splattering the floor with flecks of red. Coal and fool's gold, she tisked. That won't do. They don't like dogs. Grandma, we gotta get them to the vet, I screamed, desperate. There's nothing to be done, Grandma said soothingly pushing my hair back as I cried. The saints took a bite out of him. Saints? I warbled. I wiped my nose and flinched, the smell of iron filling my senses. In the basement, she murmured. They eat things and give you jewels. They ate babies that nobody wanted. Do you know what a miscarriage is? I nodded, Confusion masking the fear and loss. Mrs. Daniels had one. They eat those, too, Grandma said. They like people, not dogs. I only ever gave them the people that nobody wanted. And they gave me enough gold, silver, and gems to live however I wanted. She paused to stare at the empty cavern of the dumbwaiter then look back, eyes shining. If you take care of them, they'll take care of you. I, too, took a moment to look at the dumbwaiter, flinching as Grandma grasped my hand. Keep them a secret, and you'll get the treasure, I heard her whisper. Beneath her words, there was the sound of skittering and hissing. I refused to turn and look her in the eyes. You'll be rich, like me. See the world for yourself. You're a smart young girl who loves an adventure. Not like your mother. I'll leave the saints to you. We ended up agreeing to say that Sherbert had wandered into the meadows and had been eaten by wild animals. The forest around Grandma's house was not unknown for its wolves and bears. Grandma's husband had actually met the very same fate decades earlier. My mother and father accepted the news without question, grieving and reminding me to grieve as well. I had left my tears on the wooden floors, though, beside the blood and gold. On any subsequent visits to Grandma's house, I didn't run to meet her. Mom took it as a sign that I was maturing and heeding her advice. Throughout the years, my grandmother winked at me every now and again, reminding me that we shared a secret. We never spoke of the saints aloud, and I tried to purge them from my memory. But it was hard. Whenever I stared at all the beautiful things in her house, I could just imagine the paintings, teapots, and statues, all streaked with red. The blood of babies. Of people that the world didn't want. When I got the news that Grandma had passed... My first instinct was to grab a can of kerosene and light the Victorian from the basement up. Grandma's will was read a day before the viewing, though it had sickened my stomach to hear her promise to me had been kept. I'll admit I thought, at least it'll be easier to set my own house on fire. The viewing held in Grandma's home seemed a little too well-planned to my biased eyes to give me the house and then force me to walk through its halls mingling with people and imagining myself in such splendor. Grandma really had kept it in wonderful condition. And even though her rarer worldly items would be donated to local museums and charities, there was still a fair amount of furniture and accents that would become mine were I to accept. An Easter egg to begin your own personal house of fortune, the woman in the casket had told me one night over Coco. I never told her. That I wanted the saints. I never said that I wanted riches. But I guess something had slipped through. Something that even I hadn't noticed in my own self reflections over the years. Maybe it was a family trait that had skipped a generation. Maybe it was simple curiosity that inspired me to cut off a few of Grandma's fingers when everyone went to toast her memory in the kitchen. She had ordered her body to be presented in the parlor on the second floor, right beside the false panel. A truly insidious woman my grandmother had been. The dumbwaiter was clean this time. It went down smoothly on a well-oiled track. I felt the impact of the dolly hitting the floor and waited. This time, the hissing sounded more like singing. Like laughter. Laughter. I pulled up the dumbwaiter to find that my grandmother's words had been true. They definitely prefer people over dogs. Whatever it is beneath the floorboards in this old Victorian, they certainly make beautiful work of ugly things. Like a caterpillar into a butterfly. At the reading of the will, along with the deed, I was given a map of the house. Certain rooms had red X's over them and there was an accompanying written log of the specific location of each X. My family members had been confused, but I knew a treasure map when I saw one. And I know what false paneling sounds like when I hear it. I have everything I need to be a self-made woman, just like my grandmother had been. As I turned the rubies over in my hand, watching them catch the light, I feel a smile cross my face. I know of a rundown neighborhood not ten miles away. There are people in it who could use my services. No matter the decade, there are always people who can use the help of saints.
1: Giving offerings, even sacrificing lives to hide the truth and receive material rewards. Looks like Courtney's grandmother would feel right at home in the swamp and the muck that we are constantly forced to rake when choosing our political representatives, or for that matter, our zombified interns. Go figure. We will take a moment for you to reflect on this. Our next journey will hold plenty of secrets for you. When we return, we will go back to school for our frighteningly irresistible tale, which will hold particularly gruesome results for some of its most curious students.
2: Hello, Simply Scary Podcast listeners. Just a quick note for you. Be sure to look at the About tab on simplyscarypodcast.com for information on the performers, authors, and stories that appear on the show. Make sure to support all the Simply Scary Podcast talents, like Horror Readings with GM Danielson here on YouTube. You can also check out Kristen Holland's YouTube channel, Nocturnal Transmissions, or my own YouTube channel, Jesse Cornett where you can find original music that you will hear featured on the Simply Scary Podcast. You can also find links to the authors and books that we present here on our program each week. So be sure to go to simplyscarypodcast.com, click on the About tab, and find out more information about your favorite Simply Scary Podcast performer or author. Now, back to the show.
1: Now, class, it is time to begin our lessons. During a fairly typical recess, a student and some friends discuss the curious fates of particularly insubordinate students. Could the unsettling rumor connecting these happenings to the teacher's lounge possibly be true? And even if the rumors are true, students aren't allowed in there. Looks like it's time to expose the foolishness of youth. Nick Goroff
2: performs Michael Gidry's Warwood
4: Elementary. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well.
5: I honestly don't know where to begin. I'll start with the basic stuff. My name is Alex. I'm 22 years old. From 1999 till 2003, I attended a small elementary school in Georgia called Warwood Elementary. It was a private but non-religious school, around maybe 300 kids total at the time. I was an only child, and my parents were divorced. I never saw my dad after the split, and my mom engaged a new boyfriend, but they never married. Just stayed engaged. Anyways, I don't remember my first year at Warwood very clearly, as I was in kindergarten. I made a friend named Tony, and we stuck together up until I moved in 2004. I'm not going to waste your time with useless details about my life, though. I'm going to tell you about the weird stuff. First grade. The year 2000. Tony and I were in Miss Anderson's class. She was in her thirties, had short hair, kind of looked like Jamie Lee Curtis in her later years. She was extraordinarily sweet and compassionate. Parents and students alike loved her. Different grades had different recess times at Warwood. Pre-K through second grade had it at 11.30 through 12, and third through fifth had it at 12 through 12.30. Our playground was massive, despite our small classes. The main playground island had a slide, a bridge, ladders, monkey bar, and a huge plastic rock dome with little dinosaur bones on the ceiling beneath it. It was the Dino Dome, as we called it. Tony and I would meet up there with Scotty and Phil, our friends from second grade. Both Scotty and Phil had older siblings. Scotty's brother was in fourth grade, and Phil's sister was in fifth. Both had attended Warwood since pre-K. Sometime during my first grade year, I remember a rumor went around about the bad chair. and Scotty was positive that his brother Mark had been sent to it. I first heard of the bad chair at lunchtime, right after recess. I think a boy named Eddie mentioned it to me in a hushed tone. Alex, you know about the bad chair? I shook my head. Many of my responses to adults and children alike were motions instead of words. I, I was rather shy. You want to know about the bad chair? I nodded. Okay. You know the teacher's place near the girls' potty room? The teacher's place was a small break room, or staff room for teachers. small place, probably had a fridge and a bathroom. I nodded again. Well, some kid says he's seen inside there. Says there's another door Impossible, I thought No child, living or dead Had seen into the teacher's place How'd he see it, I asked Unbelieving He had to go to the potty On his way back to Mrs. Tudor's class He saw a teacher go in When the door opened He says there was a table, chairs And another door So? So that's where the bad chair is I still don't know what that is You know J-Boy? J-Boy was a very misbehaved fourth grader. Everybody knew who he was. Just that week, he'd been expelled for bad behavior. Uh Uh-huh. Remember how he messed up Mrs. Ludke's desk last week? And then how he used his Boy Scout stuff to set all the tests on fire? Uh Uh-huh. Well, he got something worse than detention. Well, yeah, he got kicked out. Eddie giggled condescendingly. That's what they want you to think. They? The teachers. J-Boy doesn't even live here anymore. He lives at the hospital now. Why? The bad chair. Of course, then lunch was over, leaving me with an undying curiosity about the bad chair. I think that was a Friday. So after the weekend came and went, I met up with my pals in the Dino Dome and asked if they had heard about the bad chair and J-Boy's fate. Someone told me about that. I think it's a big fat fib, Tony announced, crossing his arms. Eddie told me a little, but he had to go when he reached the good stuff. What is the bad chair? Then from the side of the dino dome, the bald head of Steve peeked in. Steve was a fifth grader who was really sick and was allowed two recesses. You guys talking about the bad chair? It was extremely rare for a fifth grader, even a special one like Steve, to... Talk with the likes of first graders. We all froze, stunned to have his attention. You better not let the teachers hear. Why not? Phil squeaked. You might get sent there. Steve scanned the playground and crept inside the dino dome. And who knows what'll happen after that? What is the bad chair, you guys? I was quite flustered at this point and just wanted to know what the darn thing was true or not. It's beneath the school could only get to it through a door in the teacher's lounge. Yeah, the fifth graders called the teacher's place a lounge. Far too fancy for our taste. And What's it do? I inquired. Bad things. Well, duh. My friends gasped. No one talked to fifth graders like that. Steve, however, didn't seem to care. He once again looked outside of the Dino Dome as if to make sure no teachers were around. You guys know about J-Boy, right? "'Yeah,' we replied simultaneously. "'He's a hero. "'If it weren't for him, none of us would know about the bad chair. "'He's been here a long time, but he's the first one to escape it.' "'Escape it?' "'Yup. "'After J-Boy did all that bad stuff, "'everyone in Ludkey's class saw him get sent out to the principal's office. "'Not really. "'Ludkey took him into the lounge, "'and whoever was in the lounge took him down the stairs "'to the room with the bad chair.' And you know all this, Tony interrupted, still skeptical. He told his best friend, Finn, from my class about it, before he went crazy. He said that the room they took him to was really dark, except for some candles on the floor. In the middle is the bad chair. It's wooden and has a bunch of leather straps that they tied him into. But on the top, where your head goes, there's a skull. A human skull? Phil shuddered. Steve frowned. No. No one said anything. Then what? I urged. Then they began. Began what? Dancing. I laughed, thinking this is all a build-up to a big joke. Steve just shook his head. Not funny dancing. Weird dancing. He said they twisted and bent in impossible ways. said they were wearing black clothes. They were whispering. He screamed, but no one could hear him. He was too far down. How'd he get out? Tony finally looked a little unsettled. Something went wrong, Steve gulped, almost like he were there himself. Something joined them. Hello, boys, Mrs. Chandra, the recess attendant, stepped inside the diner dome. We all screamed. Mrs. Chandra jumped, startled by our cries, then laughed. Steve went pale, paler than usual. Telling scary stories to the young ones, Stevie? Mrs. Schaunder asked. Yes, ma'am. Schaunder <laughs> pursed her lips into a smile. Nothing too dark, I hope. Steve shook his head. None of us looked at her. Well, only five more minutes until the young ones go back to class. I suppose you'll be out here with the others, Steven? Yes, ma'am. Replied Steve almost robotically. Any more scary stories? No, ma'am. Good. Very good. With that, Mrs. Chaunder patted one of us on the back and left. Steve looked like he was about to cry and ran out of the dino dome. We didn't see him again. The days following our talk with Steve were quiet and seemingly normal. Steve was absent and most students said that was because of his frequent hospital visits. My friends and I suspected otherwise. Tony, however, raised some good questions regarding the J-Boy situation, though. Why weren't his parents doing anything about this? Surely somebody told them about all the bad chair rumors. And if other kids had been sent to the bad chair, why didn't they remember? They couldn't have died or vanished because people would notice the large numbers of disappearances and deaths. As the days passed, we learned more information about the bad chair. Sometimes by kids in our grade, but usually from 4th and 5th graders. Apparently, if the bad chair worked, you didn't remember any of it happening. That was what made the J-boy thing so important. For The first time, something had gone wrong, and he remembered everything. Plenty of other kids had gone, they just didn't know it. Where the 4th and 5th graders received this intel is still unknown to me. A few months went by, and the talks of the bad chair and J-Boy died down. We were told by Prinzner Ebner that Steve had spent his last months in hospital fighting hard, but had sadly passed away from cancer. Tony concluded that the bad chair was nothing more than a scary story made up by the fifth graders to freak out us younger kids. We just about believed that until the very last day of our first grade year. Summer was approaching fast, so naturally everyone was very excited. And with the excitement comes shenanigans, so to say. For that last day, our first grade class joined with Miss Ludke's second grade class, and we all had a fun little pizza party. We were playing games, singing songs, telling stories, the usual. Then a second grader named William ran through the classroom door, sobbing. He had left just a few minutes before to use the restroom. All the children looked upset and concerned for our classmate, but Miss Anderson and Miss Ludke just exchanged serious glances. Anderson was the first to approach him. Will, sweetheart, what's wrong? William could hardly stand up, and he had sobbed so hard that he had vomited a little bit onto the carpet. The other kids were grossed out by this, and up chucked their own pizza slices. Ludkey called for assistance and cleanup while Anderson patted Will on the back and urged him to share what had upset him. "'Steve! It's Steve!' he finally cried, eyes shut tight.
1: "'What?'
5: Miss Anderson tightened her grip on the boy and tried to pull him out into the hall. He shrieked in protest and curled into the fetal position. One of the adults who had been called to the room, the room mom, offered to call his parents.' Wait, said Miss Anderson. Let's see if he calms down. The room mom looked at Tad, bothered by the response, but agreed to wait just a few more minutes. Miss Anderson asked William again what had happened. He finally opened his eyes, which seemed to have been shut for the entirety of his presence. Ludkey attempted to distract the rest of us in vain. I saw Steve. I saw Steve, whimpered Will, eyes red and swollen. "'Steve who?' Anderson asked, "'knowing very well which Steve the child meant.' "'Dead Steve.' "'The room fell silent for Will's sniffles and coughs. "'Ludkey and the other adults escorted us from the classroom "'while Miss Anderson talked to Will. "'We all whispered amongst ourselves "'until we were ordered to remain quiet until our parents arrived. "'The end of the day had come, "'and oddly enough none of us wanted to leave. "'We needed to know what Will saw.' None of us found out, that is, until second grade year started. I haven't much to say about that summer except that most nights were spent wondering about Will, Steve, and the bad Chair. I would ask Tony if he'd heard anything, and he'd ask Phil, who would ask Scotty. But no one had. Day one of second grade, Tony and I met up and started asking around about William, who would now be in third grade with Scotty and Phil. None other than Eddie... The same boy who first told me about the bad chair provided us with the answers. William doesn't go to school here anymore. He's being homeschooled, I think. Why? What happened? This conversation took place in the few minutes we had before class started. He said that while he was taking a pee-pee, he heard weird squishy sounds and growling. When he opened up the door, dead Steve was on the ground, wiggling about. Only, he wasn't dead. And he wasn't even Steve. How could Steve not be Steve? He was something else, too. Like what? I don't know. No one does. That's all I heard. That Steve was both alive and something else. After that, Will started seeing a doctor. And now he's schooled at home. Miss Ludkey, who is now our teacher whistled and ordered us all to take our seats. She told us that students would no longer go to the bathroom by themselves, but would always bring a buddy. This was obviously because of the Steve and J-Boy incidents. During recess for the beginning of the year, Mrs. Shonder would poke her head into the dino dome quite often, even when my pals and I weren't hanging around there. She started doing it so much that we stopped going there altogether instead... Walked around the playground at a steady pace if we needed to talk. One day, Scotty said that his older brother, who was now in fifth grade, had been sent to detention for cheating on a test. Scotty asked him what detention was like. Caleb, his brother, said he didn't remember. Said he fell asleep or something. Scotty began crying and started bringing up the bad chair. Mrs. Shonder saw us. He doesn't feel well, I told her, when asked what the tears were about. Scotty held his tongue and went along with it. Mrs. Schaunder asked if he'd like to see the nurse, offering to walk him back. Scotty refused, but began to cry harder. Then Reese handed. Mrs. Schaunder guided us back to class. Then we saw her go into the teacher's place down the hall. Now this I remember clearly. Just two rooms down kindergarten class was having nap time. We were having a math lesson. Miss Ludke was talking about basic fractions or something when all the lights went out. We heard screaming and crying. Lots of it. Ludkey ran out of the room, leaving us with her assistant named Rachel, who told us to remain calm. About three minutes passed before the lights came back on. The screaming and crying had lasted without a single pause for the entire period of darkness. When light returned, they ceased almost immediately. It was the kindergartners, Miss Lutke told us. They were afraid of the dog. That wasn't even close to what the kindergartners at recess told us. The day following the power outage and screams at recess, my friends and I decided to ask some kindergartners what had caused them so much fright. Many kindergartners were not at school that day, but we managed to find a few... We all told an extremely similar story. For the sake of readability, I will change the language and grammar they use to be more coherent. The accounts that follow are obviously not how kindergartners talk, but rather how I edited them. All the details are exactly as they said, just touched up. First we asked a blonde girl. I, I don't recall her name. Before nap time started, Miss Natasha prayed for us this was already a bizarre thing to hear as our school was non-religious parents had gotten into fits over any mention of religious activity or influence by teachers she wasn't praying to God she was praying to something else I can't pronounce it it didn't sound like English but she mentioned Steve, Dead Steve and J-Boy and it made us feel weird like tingly sleepier than we were before I don't know how long we were asleep before something came. What came? The girl started trembling and looked like she was about to cry. But in an instant, she calmed down. Even smiled a bit. It was beautiful, she said. So beautiful. She didn't say much else, but another kindergartner did. Miss Natasha prayed for us before naptime started. I started feeling odd after she mentioned Steve and J-Boy and something else. I don't know how to say it; it was weird, but I got sleepy real fast. Some of my friends closed their eyes, but I fought to keep mine open because I wasn't sleepy before, and I kind of had to pee. I pulled my blanket over my head so Miss Natasha wouldn't notice I was awake. The kid had a particularly blank stare and expressionless face. We had found him sitting by the swing set not doing anything at all. I heard the classroom door open, and Miss Natasha walked out. I could tell because I heard her heels clicking against the floor. I took off my blanket, and then something joined. What? What joined? I snapped, having had the answer taken away last time. It knew I was awake. It didn't want me to be awake. I shouldn't have been awake. The boy's pace started to increase, and it was hard to catch every word. "'It was not in a state of panic like the other child, though. "'It stood above me. It stood right above me. "'A heavy weight was on me, but I knew it wasn't touching me. "'I was scared. I wanted to cry, but I, I didn't. I didn't cry. "'And I should have been asleep, and I couldn't understand any more after that. "'We talked to one more kindergartner, and his name I remember.' His name was Joshua L. He had tennis ball friends. You know the tennis balls they cut open and put on the legs of chairs? Yeah, he took those off and drew eyes on them and talked to them. We saw him do it at recess a lot. Anyway, we talked to him, and every time he said something, he moved the mouths of his tennis ball friends. We were getting ready to sleep when Miss Natasha said a prayer for us. Her God is a funny name and he cares about dead Steve and Jay. I got all warm and jingly, so I closed my eyes to sleep, and then I slept. And then something came, Tony interjected. Joshua put one of his tennis balls right in Tony's face. Yes, yes, something did. I know this because we all woke up and the lights were off. Miss Natasha had left them on. I didn't know where she was. Then we all screamed, all of us, At first we didn't know why. Not even me. I was screaming and I didn't even know why. I screamed until it hurt. I felt like I had to. No teachers came in to check on us, no matter what they said. We were alone with something. It touched all of us, one by one. Knew my name. None of us said anything. Then Joshua said something. It was unpronounceable. And then he smiled, and recess was over. No kindergartners told their parents what had happened. No one else asked, or if they did, they didn't say. Just me, Tony, Scotty, and Phil knew what Josh and the others had said. School continued like normal, for years. Anticlimactic, right? Nope. I don't think things were actually normal, because I found something out just three days ago. My mom told me a story about my second grade year that I didn't remember. She said my friends and I had drawn nasty stuff on our teacher's whiteboard. She said we got sent to detention for that. I don't remember that at all. I know what happened. Only one explanation. We didn't draw stuff on the whiteboard. "'We didn't get sent to detention. "'We got sent somewhere else. "'We took a seat in the bad chair, "'and whatever happened there worked. "'All my memories of the rest of second grade "'and third grade and fourth grade cannot be trusted. "'I returned to Augusta, Georgia to find Warwood. "'Instead, I found a different school in this place, "'which, for their sake, I will not name. "'The building, though, was the same as Warwood.' was refurbished and painted differently. I entered the school and asked the front desk about its history, explaining that I used to attend the school when it was called Warwood. Oh, yes, Warwood. It was renamed after the management change in '04. Management change? Yes, most of the original staff quit or relocated rather abruptly to many different places. DuPont, Fayetteville, D.C., Firebroker... Philly. Hmm. I paused. Was any reconstruction done to the interior? My eyes glanced down the hall where the teacher's lounge had originally been. Oh, no, I, I don't think so. Why? I just have some fuzzy memories in one room. I'd like to clear them up. I'm afraid I can't let you into any of the rooms without special permission. That's okay, I, I understand. Would you happen to know if any of the old teachers from Warwood still work here? Just one, I believe. Who? Natasha Tuger. She still teaches kindergarten. Did she teach you? Not me personally, but I do remember her. Would you like to speak with her after school? The day ends in about an hour. Yes, I would appreciate that. Thanks. I took a seat outside the office and browsed on my phone. The woman at the front desk had called Natasha's room and informed her that she had a visitor. What's your name, sir? She asked me. Alex. His name is Alex. He's a former student. Some brief conversation passed, and then she hung up. Natasha remembers you. She's very excited to see you. Good. I smiled. My heart was skipping beats, and I felt nauseous, but I did my best to hide it. I excused myself to the restroom, which was exactly where I remembered it. I recalled the story about dead Steve appearing in this very bathroom, and I knew the teacher's lounge was just a room over. I did my business, and as I washed my hands, a child entered. Hello, Hello said the boy. Hello, said the boy. Uh, hey. I'm good with children. Children I know, that is. At this point, I was afraid of being labeled a pervert and spoke with children in an elementary restroom, however, and did my best to avoid saying much of anything. But kids these days can be very social, and this one was. Are you someone's daddy? Nope. Why wasn't this boy even going to the bathroom? He was standing outside the stalls, watching me wash my hands. You look like someone's daddy. "'Okay.' "'I dried my hands and awkwardly waved goodbye. "'The boy remained still, staring. "'As I left the restroom, I looked to my left and saw the door to the lounge. "'The door had been redone and was far fancier now. "'It even said Teacher's Lounge on the window. "'Very cliché. "'I casually strolled by and looked inside with my eyes corners. "'I didn't see anyone.' Then I got a bad idea. I decided to test the doorknob. It was unlocked, so I went inside. Fridge, coffee table, sink, staff restroom, chairs, door—the same door I had seen glimpses of in my time at Warwood. I did a precautionary check behind me, confirming that no teachers were heading inside. Not that I'd be able to avoid them anyhow. Then I returned my attention to the door. It was now or never, I supposed. I approached it with a trembling hand and twisted the doorknob. It creaked open exactly how you'd imagine an old door would. I peered into a dark staircase that descended straight downward. Cold air washed over my face and my head began to throb. I took a step inside and the throbbing grew worse. It did with every step down. There was no light I could see at the bottom, yet I continued with my phone screen as a guide. The pain in my head stretched down to my spine. My body knew I had been here before, and whatever happened wasn't good. As I reached the bottom of the stairwell, I spotted a light switch on the right with my phone. I flicked it on, not knowing what to expect. Boxes. Lots of boxes. And shelves. No bad chair, no candles. No satanic symbols or skeletons or pictures of children. Despite this, my head and back still ached. Welcome back, Alex. Natasha stood on the bottom step, smiling and dressed in a floral gown. I'm leaving. Out of my way. I did not know how threatening I sounded, though I did try. Open up a box, Alex. I said move. I walked forward with fists balled, but she did not care. She did not even look at me. She looked behind me, a grin wider. What the hell did you do to me in here? I had broken. I had given in and asked. She knew I was afraid. She had leverage. Natasha said the same thing that girl in kindergarten class had said. It was beautiful so beautiful then she pointed to the storage boxes take a look no yes I wanted to or at least something inside me wanted to but I refused Tony Scott, Phil they came back too shut up Natasha moved past me very gently as though walking on air I wanted to burst up the stairs, but something held me back. She knelt down by a rather large box to the right of the room and opened it. It had not been sealed. She stuck her entire left arm inside of it and grunted as she lifted an object out. As soon as I saw it, I fell to my knees. I remembered it, just barely. A skull, none of a human and of no animal I had ever seen, I was frozen in place. The pain in my body was now so extreme that I wish I had a way to kill myself. Natasha spoke, but it was unpronounceable. Then she placed the skull on top of my head. In my mind, I saw them all. The teachers dressed in black. The candles. The bonds of my wrists and ankles. The robed ones. The way they moved. The way they bent. Their faces distorted beyond imagination. The shaking of the ground beneath me. The freezing blast of wind from somewhere else. Then they all shrieked and bowed. In the corner I saw Tony and Phil and Scotty. They were sobbing and vomiting. Their eyes rolled back in their heads. I returned to the moment at hand and watched Natasha die. That demented bald boy with something on him was tearing at her flesh. Dead Steve. My eyes closed and I heard the screams of kindergartners. The prayers of Natasha. The songs of the faculty. The unpronounceable. I remembered. All those days at school after I had taken a seat in the bad chair. My throne. The hours spent being worshipped. The plans visions, unpronounceable entering children, entering me. It didn't always work, Dead Steve, J-Boy, but when it did work, it worked well. There's a little piece of something everywhere. He left me for a while, but he's back now. He always comes back, to all of us. There's nothing that can be done about it. Everyone will sit down. Everyone will be someone.
1: All right, all right, all right, kiddies, quiet down now. Time to actually learn something. I know we don't do much instruction on this show, but every once in a while we would like you to learn something. There's an old bromide, which is an overused word or phrase that may suggest insincerity, and it applies to this tale. You can't go home again, is the appropriate colloquialism that comes to mind. While that statement is indeed true and frightening... For some of the more delicate little snowflakes out there in the real world, the true danger for us may lie in revisiting the old school days. Disciplinarians with the best of intentions went to desperate lengths to help us all for our own good, and it was all our little skulls full of mush could do to block it. Perhaps another proverb is appropriate in this case... Let me paraphrase. The road to hell is often paved with the best of intentions. Now you stay put like the good little students you are, and after a final message for your educational indoctrination, that is, benefit, we'll bring you up to speed on the newest and most exciting curriculum in the world. The Simply Scary Podcast.
2: Greetings, listeners. It's Jesse Cornett, producer of the Simply Scary Podcast. I wanted to take a minute to remind you to hit that subscribe button below to stay up to date on our show and other chilling tales for Dark Knight's productions and posts, including news about our newest project, where we are going to bring new stories to life in ghastly animation. Subscribe to learn more over the next month on how you can join our coming Kickstarter campaign to fund up to a whole season's worth of storylines to visualize. You can also walk away with some hefty prizes for your participation. Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube is where you will get all the upcoming news, brand new episodes of the Simply Scary Podcast, and other releases as they debut. You can also get more information on today's stories, authors, and talents, along with other information regarding our show at simplyscarypodcast.com. Speaking of, let's get back to the show.
1: First off, I can barely contain my delight. Your efforts in making the Simply Scary Podcast successful means that we've expanded our shows from once to twice a week. As of last week, we've officially added an additional episode to the roster along with our Tuesday Terror Fest. Now, we'll be coming to you every Horrific Thursday as well. It's a good thing that Jesse has multiple personality syndrome, because he'll have his work cut out for him, and he will need the help. But with the rate of growth of our listeners, in no time we will be everywhere, and there will be no escape. Stay tuned to these announcements for more information, or even better, sign up as a patron today. To get instant updates on when episodes are posted, upcoming events, and exciting news. Go to ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com forward slash tour to become a member today and help us spread the dark around the globe. Take a moment to peruse the About tab at the top of the page on SimplyScaryPodcast.com. It will contain valuable information on the authors, performers, artists, myself, and others That worked their hardest to produce this material for your consumption. You can find out more about all your favorite Simply Scary Podcast staff and talents on simplyscarypodcast.com. Be sure to support our crew of miscreants and let them know the Simply Scary Podcast sent ya. If you are a horror author and a member of our audience... We have a great opportunity to bring your nightmares to life. Send us a message to contact at simplyscarypodcast.com for a free consultation on how we can work with you to transform your written word into a bloody reality. Figuratively speaking, of course. If you think your story can hack it, visit us at simplyscarypodcast.com forward slash submit a story. And we'll see if your story has what it takes to make us almost too afraid to produce it. Uh, Mr. Producer, Uh could you read back the moments from our last meeting? Oh,
2: uh, yeah, sure. Uh, Let's see here. Uh, Yada, yada, yada. Uh, Please stop killing me. Uh, blah blah blah. Uh, what the hell is that thing? Uh let's see. The host is chewing on my jugular. Uh, da, da. Oh, please God no. Uh etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. There you go.
1: Um thank you. Next on our agenda, remember that for less than you pay the cable company you can get access to many of our high-quality audio productions in the highest quality possible we can offer. Take the tour at chillingtalesfordarknights.com tour, and along with access to other deliciously dreadful delights, you will be helping us produce the kind of audio entertainment you have come to expect from the Simply Scary Podcast and Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Your support will ensure that we can continue our show, our staff can return to creating full productions, and it will help us expand into the visual, yes, visual medium, to horrify you in even more ways. So keep sharing us with everyone you know. And finally, the moment you have all been waiting for. The reading of this week's Lucky Review on iTunes. For this episode, our winner is Darrow21. Ooh, what a very excited listener. Darrow21 writes, I came across this podcast when I was looking for more creepypasta stories on YouTube. After listening to the episode They Are Legion, I had to subscribe to this podcast. The stories are put together well, with a great build-up and excellent timing. The voice acting is amazing and very professional. Normally, I only leave a review when I'm really excited about a podcast content. This time, I'm going to do something I never do. I'm going to donate to keep this podcast up and running. My head's off to you all, and I can't wait for the next episode. (laughs) Thank you, Darrow21. Thank you. That was an amazing review, certainly one of the best we have read so far. We'll need you to take a screenshot of your account page with a review and email it to us at contact at simplyscarypodcast.com to claim your spectacularly spooky prize. And let me remind you all that Darrow 21 has got it absolutely right. It's you, the listener, who keeps this podcast up and running. Keep sharing and scaring those you love, and even those you are not quite so fond of, just like the presidential election. It's your support that will help us win, and you can't win if you don't get out and vote. So vote for more simple and more scary. It's one choice they can't take away from you. This is GM Danielson, thanking you for joining us for our foray into the frightful tonight. Remember, listeners, if you go digging beneath your floorboards, one of the first things you might learn is just how much room there really is under there, and what a great hiding spot it could be. We will see you next time, when we once again show you that there is nothing simple about being scared, unless, of course, it is the Simply Scary Podcast. This
2: is executive producer Jesse Cornett. If you like what you hear, be sure to check out more from these authors at simplyscarypodcast.com. There you can find all information regarding the show and the stories appearing here in our podcast. The Simply Scary Podcast is a production of Chilling Entertainment. The showcase is written by Jesse Cornett and Dustin Koski, and produced by Jesse Cornett. The host of the Simply Scary Podcast is GM Danielson. Original music during the show by Jesse Cornett. This broadcast was directed and created by Craig Groshek. Be sure to look for the Simply Scary Podcast on iTunes. And if you like the show, leave us a five-star review. Comments or questions, email us at contact at simplyscarypodcast.com and check our website for more information. While you're there, consider clicking on the Patrons link at the top of the page to help support our show. Copyright Chilling Entertainment, LLC 2016. Thanks for listening.